Welcome back to City on the Edge, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque and New Mexico stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. Mike and Nora have the week off, uh, which is to say I have put them into the storage unit. And uh, if they've been good, then next episode they can come back out and join me. They know what they did. Today I'll be speaking to Taylor Hood, the assistant editor for Albuquerque the Magazine. He's going to be talking to us about some research that he recently did for an article all about the history of different houses in Albuquerque's uh, historic neighborhoods. Some great information in there. But first, I'm excited to tell you about an upcoming event. Mark your calendars for November 23rd because... Coming soon. The weirdest, most sensational document that has ever been produced on any screen. Revealing rites of the Dark Ages. Its majestic theme will startle you. It is the most fascinating, the strangest shackled love of all time. A beautiful girl takes cruel punishment for the sake of the man she loves. The Lash of the Penitentes! Yep, we're doing it. We have talked about it before, but now we're finally doing it. November 23rd at 1 p.m. at the Guild Cinema on Central, a showing of the infamous New Mexico Exploitation, New Mexploitation film from 1936, Lash of the Penitentes, a dramatization of the murder of Carl Taylor in the eastern mountains of the Sandia. Um, However, it's connection to the actual facts of that case is um, inconsequential is what I would say. A fascinating, strange, exploitive, false, idiotic film that you have got to see to believe. So mark your calendars for that. Okay, so now we are going to be uh, moving on to my my interview with, uh, with Taylor Hood couple of notes. We're going to be talking about different residences in Albuquerque. I tried to give a, a general approximation of where they are, hopefully enough for you to go by. But if you can't go check out the uh, the June issue of Albuquerque the Magazine, you can pick it up at the Special Collections Library, uh, certainly other libraries around town. Um, we talk about the spy house. I think we, we mentioned the Rosenbergs in it. Uh, however, it is important to note the Rosenbergs didn't actually stay there. However, Ethel Rosenberg's brother-in-law, David Greenglass, did. So um, not to mislead anyone with the, the way our conversation kind of elides over the, that fact. And we also talk about a, a pitfall of doing doing historical research in a place where, uh, you know, sometimes legends get repeated as facts. So should be very interesting to everyone. Um, please enjoy. Here is Taylor Hood, assistant editor of Albuquerque, the magazine. This really great article about kind of Albuquerque residential history. I yeah. Guess. It's very much about the yeah. houses and the neighborhoods. Historic homes, for um, sure. I'm going to say this without reservation. My favorite article ever in Albuquerque <laughs> Magazine. Thank you. I, I feel like it's it's aiming at a different kind of demographic sure. than me most of the time. Sure. So I'm kind of yeah. used to a, 
kind of passing it by without necessarily looking at it. And this right. time I happened to flip, I think it had the La Luce article also, which right. sort of drew my yeah. attention. Yeah. And then there was this really great, very pretty long, yeah. very nicely illustrated article on, uh, on residential history. So yeah. where did that come from? Well, that was uh, every year we have a, uh, an editorial meeting where we sort of plan out the features for the entire year. And it was actually pitched by my creative director at the time, a woman named Lise Watkins. And she was really interested in it. I loved the idea. The publishers, less so. They, uh, it, like you say, it was a little outside the box from what is normally printed in the magazine. But um, I loved the idea. Of course, when it rolled around, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to dig into a lot of kind of dry material and stuff like that. I ended up absolutely loving writing it. It was, uh, I dragged my wife all around uh, uh, down by the museum district and uh, pointed out all the houses to her and found myself just really super getting into it and very much enjoyed writing it. And was this, were you not interested so much in Albuquerque history prior to this? No, I was. Um, always, I, I'm born and raised here and so always very interested in the uh, uh, in the history of the city. Um, I just wasn't sure how much I was going to want to learn about the homes necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um but I was very pleasantly surprised because now I can't stop. And it's it's a surprisingly rich history it is. presented in that article. And I've done a lot of research into Albuquerque history over the years. Uh, and you uncovered things that I I'd never had even heard of before. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, Harley Davidson. Yeah, you know, that story ended up being a little problematic. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Um, so I double-sourced that story. And went and checked out the the place, and a homeowner and a uh, historian both uh, kind of gave me the breakdown of it and told me about it. And so as and so I, I wrote it up a little bit outside of protocol. Um, normally, I'll double source things and then dive really heavily into them. Um, if I had had a little more time, I would have called up Harley Davidson and talked to them a little bit about mm-hmm. it and kind of tried to get that into the story and dig a little deeper. Um, as it turned out, we ended up printing this story Mm -hmm. and then I got a call from somebody who knew a lot about Harley Davidson saying, yeah, I'm not sure that all of this is accurate. Oh, and so of course, as a, as an editor and as a writer and a journalist, my heart just stopped and kind of went into my throat. And so I said, you know what, we're going to do some digging into this and find out what the heck is going on. I had Mm -hmm. two sources. Uh, the the homeowner being one, and a uh, woman who's uh, very knowledgeable in in the history of that community, who was who actually turned me on to the original story. Well, we should probably establish first of all what what is the version that appeared in the magazine. So yes, so um, the story that I was told was that it was the original shack. It's this shack behind this house in the heart of the city. Looks like kind of Hooning Highlands district. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, right around there. Um, it kind of the it's sort of near the Forester Store mm-hmm. District, okay. um, and it's a shack behind the house. And uh, the story that we were told from both sources was that it was the original workshop where Harley Davidson would work on their uh, motorcycles. It was the original Harley Davidson, the man, right? Specifically. Yeah. So come to find out that this was more legend than anything else. Um, The more I dug into it, the Mm -hmm. more I found that, and I was heartbroken to inform the homeowner of this, that 
the more we dug into it, the more we found that it's a myth that sprang from this being the workshop of the owner of the first Harley Davidson dealership here. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, and again, this was, and this was probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever encountered in my career, finding out that Harley Davidson is not an actual person. Oh my gosh. It's two separate people. Oh yeah. And so I ran into this huge issue with this. And so it's actually something that we're still working on because we want to not only print a correction, but print mm. a full story sure. and even sort of um, narrate out the story of how we found yeah. upon this legend and how we were even fooled by it. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was a very scary and embarrassing <laughs> moment. I've and been there. then I kind of thought, you know what, I'm going to sort of embrace this and lean into it. Where did this myth come from? Why, why are... Why is it apparently so prevalent? I mean, right. this woman who was one of my sources, extremely knowledgeable. And mm-hmm. when I told her, she swore up and down, no, that's not right. It's it's actually, and it's going, well, no, I got a little bit of proof that this is more myth than anything else. And well, so, yeah. It there was, are uh, pitfalls in investigating <laughs> history. Yeah. And one thing that I discovered while uh, doing my own research is myths get propagated and repropagated. For so. Sure. Um, for instance, one of the ones that I encountered and sort of inadvertently wound up propagating myself was that elephant rock, this uh, kind of boulder that stood on the east part of town on uh, Route 66, had been taken off of its pedestal during the construction of I-40. Oh, wow. And I wrote that. Right. Um, And that was not what happened. It was actually removed from its pedestal about two decades earlier than right. the uh, than the construction of I-40 oh. um, in order to make way for a hospital that was brought down the road. But now, forever <laughs> in this this book that right. I did, it's right there. So oh, It's the worst feeling. <laughs> it's the worst feeling. Yeah, but, but I, I admire that you're, like, kind of openly talking about it. Oh, yeah. No, we don't want to run from it because <laughs> that, that um, as you know, as a writer and somebody who's trying to preserve things, mm-hmm. uh, running for, from it, makes it worse you know you and i are both trying to be as accurate as possible right so in order to not repeat any mistakes that we make mm-hmm. we want to delve into that wait what how did this myth come about why why has this become such a prevalent myth? right um and what is the actual fact of the matter mm-hmm. I, I want to know how this how this happened uh, to somebody who uh it, both of us uh to people who are really in pursuit of truth, right? You know, and so what? What is the actual story? The actual story is that the so, dealer, yeah, the dealer opened up a um, a shop, uh, a Harley Davidson dealership, and it was over on Central Avenue. And what is the year? Uh, this oh. was in the oh gosh, I would have to look it up to be completely accurate, but it was uh, post World War II, and it was a very small, almost almost like a garage mm-hmm. dealership. Well, they didn't have room to work on any bikes mm-hmm. there. And so he rented out this shack behind the Seth house over on Arno. Mm-hmm. And he would bring the motorcycles in there and he would work on them there. And so, yes, Harleys were worked on in this shack. Yes, the uh, people who first brought Harleys to Albuquerque worked on their Harleys in this shack. But it was neither Harley nor Davidson who did it. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it, it is connected to the early... Uh, yes. History of yeah, that company, exactly. Albuquerque. Yeah, know. yeah. And uh, uh, 
what what is the Seth House exactly? So the Seth House was um, is a very interesting house. Um, I believe it's over on Arno, and it still looks like it's straight out of the late eighteen hundreds. It's got this very much little house on the prairie look to it. It's even painted right now this this uh, bright yellow color, and it's got a wraparound porch. And anyway, it was built as basically four walls and a roof for the Seth family in the late 1800s, around the turn of the century. Um, and they eventually just started building onto it. There was a church right next door. The church closed down, and instead of destroying the building, they just brought this church and attached it to the back of the house. And so you can actually still go into the Seth house and drop a marble on the ground, and it'll roll because the neither structure was put on any sort of foundation. There was oh, no okay. slab, there was no foundation, and so the church part of it actually slants at an angle. And so the owner, he dropped the ball on the ground, and sure enough, it rolls right down. <laughs> and you can actually see all the parts where the church was basically just slapped onto the back of this house. It's just like, yeah. take it over. And I mean, it didn't look like a church. It's just this little prairie chapel, you know. And um, uh, the owner has actually done a great job of pres preserving a lot of the things on the inside. He's even got some of the original wallpaper still up, which I was shocked hadn't rotted or right. whatever happens to wallpaper over the years. Um, and the house still has five chimneys on it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a single fireplace. Not a single fireplace. Not a single that fireplace. That is kind of hard Five chimneys. <laughs> yeah. 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 That and seems then, wrong. Uh, yeah. It, it, really, it really felt wrong. But uh, he tried to keep the uh, as many of the chimney shafts as he could. But over the years, the actual... Uh, fireplaces have been bricked over and so um there but there's still a lot of history sitting in the seth house and behind the seth house as well so Very cool um one that has a legend attached to it uh that a lot of people maybe don't know about in town here despite it being kind of hugely important to our world sure. is uh, is the so-called spy house oh, which absolutely. is right around in that same neighborhood yeah isn't it? yeah absolutely so it's probably that? my favorite one to write about because uh being a um, history major in college, uh, the story um, of uh, Ethel Rosenberg and her husband Julie, Julian Julius, uh, Julius, yeah, Julius, Julius Rosenberg. Rosenberg um, you know, it's such an important story in American history, and I was shocked to find this story out. I was just like so many other people; I had no idea that this happened here in Albuquerque. It's over on High Street. It's over on High Street. Yeah. What does it look like? Um, so nowadays it's a gorgeous bed and breakfast. And it, so it's more uh, dressed up in a historical fashion than actually preserving a lot of the history of it. Now, that said, the owners have taken great pains to retain what they could while still running a profitable bed and breakfast out of it. So the actual table where... Well, let's, let's start with the story. Yeah, what yeah, happened? Sure, there? I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> So the spy house is the actual house where the Rosenbergs and Russian agents met during World War II to exchange secrets. Now the Rosenbergs, they were, and I believe still are, the only spies uh, executed by the United States. And, you know, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not they're actually guilty or were guilty at the time. It could have been a scare tactic uh, against the Russians. There's a lot that goes into it, a lot of politics. Um, but in any case... Uh, they were a married couple 
who were convicted and eventually executed for selling secrets to the Russians. And this was right towards the end of World War II. Right. Um, the spy house is where this transaction allegedly took place. And it wasn't just the Rosenbergs. It was Ethel's brother as well, who was arrested with them, flipped on them, and was not executed. Right. And they were... They were um taking information about the Manhattan Project. Exactly. Specifically, right? Right, so. which is why it was in New Mexico. Right. So it makes sense. It makes sense yeah. because of the Manhattan Project. And so uh, the owners of the spy house have uh, kept the desk, the table, where uh, the Russian agent met with the Rosenbergs. And so there's a lot of little things like that inside the house. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking for things that are authentically, historically accurate inside the spy house, you're going to have to look for little things like that. And the owners are very knowledgeable about what mm -hmm. those things are. If you're looking for a wonderful place to stay for a staycation, it's a wonderful place right. to do that. Less a museum and more of a functioning exactly. <laughs> inn. Exactly. It's changed hands a lot of times over the years. And thanks to the city of Albuquerque and... Um, historical preservation rules, uh, a lot of the structure of the home has stayed in place. Uh, but as far as interior design, the dressing, yeah, right. it doesn't look, doesn't look like it did then. What was your favorite uh, story that you uncovered? So I really did like the spy house. I thought that that was extremely interesting and something I wanted to dive more into. Unfortunately, space was limited on, on that story. Um, but... I found one story that I found hilarious that I didn't know about was the so-called governor's mansion, and that's down on Tenth Street. Yeah, I saw it. I was yeah. very like confused by it. <laughs> yeah, actually. yeah, and it's there's I mean there's a lot of amazing stuff about the governor's mansion, but the part that I found so amusing was its nickname of the governor's mansion. Right. And so this home was built by very famous uh, architect who built a ton of the buildings in downtown, Henry Trost. Mm -hmm. And it was built by him, and it was a replica of his own home in Texas. I want to say El Paso. And so he was commissioned to build a house that would eventually become the house for the governor when New Mexico gained statehood. Right. So this is pre-statehood. Pre-statehood. And so they he, he built this house, this big, gorgeous, beautiful house, and New Mexico becomes a state, and lo and behold, the capital ends up being in Santa Fe. So he just assumed it would be Albuquerque because... Everybody kind of did, <laughs> yeah. I guess the railroad was coming through here. Exactly, and, right. exactly. And it was sort of a concession that was made. Uh, Albuquerque gets certain things, Santa Fe gets certain things, mm -hmm. and the capital ended up being in Santa Fe. And so they could no longer <laughs> use the house. And it was eventually purchased by a prominent doctor here in the city. And uh, now that house is the coolest thing to walk through. I mean, it looks it looks like it's straight out of the early 1900s. They even have um, they have the maid's quarters still on the back, and the owner is so knowledgeable about uh, every little nook and cranny at this house. But I've, I had never been in a, in a home like this. It has oddly shaped rooms, staircases that wind and twist. You don't know where you are in the house. I kept wanting to tell the owner, this is the perfect haunted mansion. <laughs> but I didn't want to offend him either. Well, I don't <laughs> so, know. That's like a selling point, right? <laughs> right, these days. right. Get yeah. you on the History Channel. Absolutely. Or, uh, um, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. One that I, uh, I, I guess I had always kind of known... 
of a connection between Madrid and Albuquerque, but I, it had never really occurred to me that the uh, the the house of the owner of the mine was here as well. Can you right. tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely, and that was um, a very interesting house, and it sort of came to my attention pretty late um, in the process of trying to get this story together, and that was my fault. It uh, I kind of had a stack of different houses to look at, and I looked at this house and just passed it right over. It didn't look uh, like anything all that special to me. Um, and then it was pointed out to me again by one of my sources, hey, you should check out this house. And again, I sort of said, I don't know, it looks like a house that was built in 1980. It's, it's not right. exactly what I'm looking for. And I said, oh no, you gotta go inside. <laughs> and so this house, just a little backstory on it. Um, Madrid in Northern New Mexico, uh, there was a time when it was largely owned by a single landowner who owned the mine up there. Right. Now, as the years progressed, uh, technology changed. He eventually was forced to close down this mine. Um, he lived here in Albuquerque in this house. He wasn't like you see in the movies in terms of the old miserly uh, mine owner. Mm -hmm. He cared very deeply about his workers, and that was he lost a lot of money on this mine, keeping it open at a loss for a lot of years to keep his employees working and keep their families provided for. Um, so when the mine closed down, he brought in a bunch of his workers to do a lot of work on the interior of this house. So there's all these beautiful moldings that are just in intricately carved throughout the home. Um, just amazing woodwork in and out of the house. And uh, so that house was really special because the, the outside you'd sort of pass by it and not even notice. And, uh, but you go inside and the artistry on every little kind of detail of the interior of this home is outstanding. Uh, whereabouts is that located? That is South Carlisle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, kind of in that area. And that so was sort of too another... far from here. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty close to, to your studio here. All right. Yes. The studio. <laughs> and, uh, speaking of close to the studio here, um, one of the uh, one of the not exactly a house, but uh, mm -hmm. I guess an office building mm -hmm. uh, that made it into the article is is pretty close to here, and it's a story that I often mention to people, and I don't think they ever believe me. Uh, but <laughs> talking about the the solar house oh, over yeah. on uh, Truman, yeah, the solar building, right? Yeah. So, am I right in understanding this was the first solar cell powered? building in the United States? Absolutely. That is 100% correct. Right over <laughs> on uh, Truman and Copper. Co yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so when when did this uh, go on? When was it built? So this was in the early 70s, I want to say. And it was a solar company that was moving in there. And they wanted to heat the building using solar cells. And it absolutely did become the first solar-powered building in the United States. And uh, I was shocked, too. I thought that was hyperbolic. So it's I crazy, went right? down to the city and I talked to um, uh, Leslie Nagy, who uh, runs historical preservation for the city, and she confirmed it and gave me a bunch of information on it. 1956. Holy according, according to your article. <laughs> there we go. So it was actually, it's been a little while. It's been a few months. <laughs> sure, sure. I know how that goes, too. I appreciate but, that, though. Um, yeah, so tell me, what did she say? So... She confirmed that it absolutely is the first one, and she even had old uh, brochures for the building and for the company, and um, old pictures taken from the very beginning of uh, this building opening up. 
And so this company, the kind of in a horrible twist of historic irony, this company eventually found eventually switched over to conventional heating and power because they found that it was not economically sustainable uh, to use solar well, power. Well, I imagine 1956. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's a very interesting-looking building because it's got a an odd slant to the roof um, that's, you know, perfect for mounting solar cells. Right, you can <laughs> see it looking right. at it. You're like, that right. south-facing slant. Right, um, yeah, and that was a shocker to me. I used to live right next to that building oh, really? and had no idea. No right. idea. I've passed by the... Uh, the the plaque enough times you right. know to kind of stop by and read it that eventually I, it kind of stuck but right um so what is it now it's a it's empty right now it's nothing nothing in there right now yeah yeah so that's, that's kind of a shame because that i feel like in this area there's that building and then of course somewhere around here uh is the office where they founded microsoft right, yeah, right. <laughs> back in the 70s it seems sure. like it's a little sad that both of these kind of a Industry started here, but yeah. didn't really uh, didn't really stick. I know, and we lost Jeff Bezos. Also, right? Bezos. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, well, so were there any other stories that kind of caught your uh, that you kind of want to share right now? Or? Well, um, so this uh, this story allowed me to sort of pitch an idea to my publisher about having a continuing uh, section in the magazine every month uh, called "Piece of the Past." Lovely. Which uh, I which I write every month, and as the assistant editor, part of my job—I mean, I'm the head writer—but part of my job is assigning out all the assignments, and I'm often um, a little bit underwater trying to get everything kind of pounded out every month. Uh, but I hold on to piece of the past. It's one that's easy to pass on to another sure. writer, but I want that one. And <laughs> it's, every month, it's my favorite thing to write. And uh, to this day, I wrote one. It was one of the very first ones that we did on the Sunset Drive-in. Okay. Over in the South, South Valley. Valley. Screen's uh, still standing, I yep, believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's being converted into a farm now. Oh, good. Uh, but they're leaving up all the poles with the speakers on them, and they're leaving up the screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so they're kind of preserving that. And I can't wait for crops to start growing there so we can go yeah. and photograph crops with the drive-through things. And, um, and it was – I find that every month – it's kind of a nice uh, breather for me. I have to get a lot of information into a lot of these features, mm -hmm. but then I get to piece of the past. And I get to kind of sit and meditate on it for a second, think about it, right. and use some creative passion when when writing that piece. And so, uh, and I've gotten to write. I mean, Sunset Drive-In was my favorite, but uh, you know that's where we, we'll cover a little more famous things like um, the chemo theater was one that we did mm -hmm. in the last one. And okay. that was more interesting. I, I kind of put it in there because I thought, you can't have a piece of the past section without talking about the chemo yeah, at to some point. The chemo. You know? Yeah, maybe even and, several times. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought, well, we got to put it in there. Um, I know it has a lot of history. It turns out chemo is extremely interesting. Oh, yes. Uh, not just the style of it and the people who, who built it, but the legends right. surrounding it in terms right. of the hauntings and things that people do to try and get rid of the ghosts yeah. and, and things like that. So um, Piece of the Past has been uh, a real 
high spot in my a high point in my monthly writing schedule, and it's all because of this this historic home story. So, how was the response to this article? I know that you said that your publisher was a little reluctant. Yeah, he loved it. They he loved both it. both of the publishers. We have two publishers. One handles the sales and marketing side. Uh, uh, Gina Goodson is her name, and then one on the editorial side, Laurel Lynch, who actually started the magazine. And both of them just loved it. And uh, Laryl is always telling all of the writers, you know, the old journalist mantra of you write with information, not with words. And so he came into my office one day and said, man, he packed a lot of information into that story. <laughs> and it was sort of the highest compliment. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. yeah. And so it was sort of a mixed bag. It's um, I, I've rarely had so much fun writing a story and researching a story and getting out and doing it. Um at the same time, the Harley Shack section of it was a big... Can we call it Harley Gate? Yeah, Harley Gate. Harley? Yeah, Harley Gate was a huge... Uh, uh, was a bit of an embarrassment, sure. but it's one that we're working to uh, correct with more than just a title page correction. Yeah, so you're, yeah. it sounds like you're doing a follow-up article yeah. on yeah. the spread of legends. And right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, we, you know, I'll tell how the story was originally written and uh, what reality is separated from myth and mm -hmm. how that kind of comes to be in a more informative way than, uh, right. than uh, spiritual, but sure. And it, I mean, it sounds like a, a new feature that I'm certainly interested in with this, uh, with this piece of the past. So yeah. I'm yeah. Looking forward to it. seeing, uh, seeing some of those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, and Hey, just, uh, let me know. I'll shoot you a couple of uh, PDFs. You can check. Excellent. Out. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, that is one unfortunate thing is uh, you can't. Albuquerque the magazine does not have its articles online, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you can purchase an online subscription at this mm -hmm. point, but it's something that we just rolled out. So right. my recommendation would be, and don't tell Laryl I said this, but my recommendation would be to wait a couple of months before trying for a online subscription just so we can get the bugs coming. okay that sounds good yeah. all right <laughs> all right well thank you so much for uh, coming hey, on the show today thank you for having me um i'm a i'm a fan of the show you've talked oh, with some great people chris jackson Hakeem oh Delaney. yeah love, okay love all of them so okay yeah, i wasn't even sure it was you an honest, sir, but <laughs> yeah or what but i i really appreciate that so thanks again i don't know why my google alarm's going off <laughs> so we'll just I think our, our listeners understand that we're <laughs> recording in a living room and things sure, happen. I know sure. my dogs have appeared enough times. Mm. Dogs, kids, clocks. It's humanizing. <laughs> yeah. People like that. <laughs>Okay, so thank you to Taylor Hood for uh, for joining me on the show this week, and thank you for listening. Uh, like I said, we've got this great event coming up uh, November 23rd. We're going to be showing the film Lash of the Penitentes. We are also going to be providing some historic context to both the film and Penitentes and the actual murder of Carl Taylor. So uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck. That's November 23rd at 1 p.m. Patrons get in free, and uh, our patrons include Amy Gabe, Nicole Finch, Ben Tucker, Jim Roblar, Jesse Crawford, Christopher Holden, Neil, uh, that's just Neil, Kelsey Tietchen, 
Jen Panhorst, Lando Enchantment, our, our good old pal Lando Enchantment, Rachel Langer, April, Jean-Yves Bart, and Natasha Chisdies. Thanks, you guys, so very much. If you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to our website, uh, patreon.com slash edge. We very much appreciate the support that, that we get from everybody who, uh, who helps us out. Um, and, you know, the more support we get, the, the better and more often we can do this. So thank you so much. And we will hopefully see all of your faces there at Last of the Penitentes on November 23rd. Thank you.